Um, I just want to start off with a, a quick quiz. So we um, have been talking over the last couple of weeks about the, the vision of the house, that we really want to get it ingrained into, you, into your mind. So we talked about, you know, this, this house, this church. We want to see people um, find God and follow Jesus, but there are four uh, tags to that. Who can remember those four? That's one of them, find freedom. No God. Find freedom, discover purpose. Make a difference. Great. We that that is what we, we want to get in this into your into your mind. We want to we want to be a church that knows God. We want to see people come into this building and get to know God. We want to help them find freedom. We want to help them discover purpose. And we want to help them go out and make a difference. We want to see lost people saved. We want to see saved people pastored. We want to see pastored people discipled and then discipled people sent. And and over the next few months, we've taken the decision to to just hammer home this this kind of this message. And we're going to be break, taking this vision and bring breaking it down piece by piece. And last week, um, Aaron opened up with, it with a really um, great message talking about the glory of God. And, and just to kind of, so you get your brains ready, we're going to be talking about God for the next six weeks. All right? So we're going to talk about knowing God. And we've broken it up into um, three different things. And the first one we talked about was glory. And, and it's my job to kind of do a, a part two, if you like. So I'm, I'm kind of glory version two, part two. I don't know what they call it, the sequel. Um, if you've got your Bibles, can we turn to uh, Revelation chapter 4? It's where we started off, and it's actually where we're hovering over again, probably for the next two or three months, um, because it's a really, uh, really key passage, and there's a verse in it that we take everything off. Revelation 4, again, this is uh, Paul. He is exiled in Patmos, and he has a vision of heaven. Revelation, the word revelation... Um, we get the word apocalypse, and everyone, when you talk to a teenager, when you mention the word apocalypse, they think zombies and an end of the world and everything. The, the word apocalypse actually means the unveiling. It means the revealing. So what Paul sees is the apocalypse. He sees the unveiling of what is to come, the unveiling of heaven. And this is what Paul says, verse, uh, chapter 4, verse 1. As I looked, I saw a door standing open in heaven, and the same voice I had heard before spoke to me like a trumpet. The voice said, come up here, and I will show you what must happen after this. And instantly I was in the spirit, and I saw a throne in heaven and someone sitting on it. The one sitting on the throne was as brilliant as gemstones, like Jasper and Cornelian, and the glow of an emerald circled his throne like a rainbow. Twenty-four thrones surrounded him, and twenty-four elders sat on them. They were all clothed in white and had gold crowns on their heads. From the throne came flashes of lightning and the rumble of thunder. And in front of the throne were seven torches with burning flames. This is the seven-spoiled spirit of God. In front of the throne was a shiny sea of glass, sparkling like crystal. And in the center and around the throne were four living beings, each covered with eyes, front and back. The first of these living beings was like a lion. The second was like an ox. The third had a human face. And the fourth was like an eagle in flight. Each of these living beings had six wings, and their wings were covered all over with eyes, inside and out. Day after day and night after night, they kept on saying, Holy, holy, holy is the Lord God, the Almighty, the one who always was, who is, and who is to come. And then verse 11 says this, You are worthy, O Lord our God, to receive glory and honor and power, for you created all things, and they exist because you created what you pleased. Verse 11 is the verse we're going to hover over where the living creatures say, you are worthy, O Lord our God, to receive glory. 
to receive glory. Now, I am not eloquent by, by human standards alone to, to um, convey the, what, what it is to describe God's glory. So, so what I want to do this morning, I want, to, I want to take off from where Aaron left off last week and delve into where the glory is represented through the Bible. So to find instances of glory. I said to Hannah, I want to take us on a glory train, but that may be just, um, you know those trains that go, go along the seaside? I've always called them a glory train. I've got no idea why. <laughs> um, maybe it's because the people on them are quite close. I don't. Who knows? Um, but I want to I look at kind of how the glory is, is shown through, through the Bible and actually how, um, how that looks for us. 2 Corinthians 3 says that, that, that the Spirit of the Lord works within us and we become more and more like him and we reflect his glory. So, so to understand how we reflect the glory, we need to understand what the glory is. Um, and my goal at the end of this is, is for us to maybe understand a little of what God's glory is and, and to how, look at how we reflect that glory into our world. And I want to start off by saying, you know, there's a difference between God's presence and God's glory. Now, this may blow your mind, but there is a difference between God's presence and God's glory. See, Moses, loads of times in Moses' life, Moses experiences God's presence. But only once does he experience the glory. Only once does he, does he see God's glory. Lots of times the Bible mentions the cloud, the cloud of God's presence. It's, it's a symbol of God's presence during the exile. But Moses, despite being in God's presence, he had to ask to see the glory. And there's a difference. Um, and, and, and even then, Moses could only see the back of God's glory as, as he passed by. And, you know, God's presence will it'll establish itself in, in loads, thousands of different ways to, to establish an environment from his people. I'm convinced God did it this morning when he spoke through Alicia to establish an environment of worship. God, God spoke through his presence. But the fullness of his glory, you could, you could maybe experience it, but you couldn't see it. And even then, it was too much. You know, the Bible says no one can look at the glory of God and live. And that's what Moses was afraid of. And, and, and one way of, of explaining this is to say, well, if we've got the presence of God, which is the cloud, the, the glory is, is the Hebrew word, the kabod, which, which, which actually means the weight of God or, or the full weight of God. See, presence is when you sense God. But I want to argue that weight is when you feel God. Does that make sense? So presence is when you, you kind of have this sense that the God, is, God is here. But weight is when something else happens. You actually feel God. Um, so, you know, if you were sitting next to each other, and, and you might sit next to someone, and, and you'd be in their presence. You'd, you'd sit in their presence, and, and they would hopefully notice you were there. Hopefully. And, and so they would notice you were there. Now, hopefully, when we're talking about God, if I was God and I'm sat next to Bernie, hopefully Bernie, the way Bernie acts around me would change a little bit. Okay? <laughs> he would obviously re respect my presence. He would know I'm there. He would maybe change the way he talks, change the way he does things, um, because he is respecting my presence. Now, if I sit on Bernie, <laughs> he knows I'm there. He knows all about it. I am there. He can't breathe. He can't think. He can't do anything but focus on the weight. Does that make sense? Thank you, Bernie. Sorry. Bernie did know I was doing that. I didn't just jump on him. I did prep that. We had a guy a couple of years ago. Um, he was an Exeter chief. And um, he came in quite regularly. He was a great guy. And, and um, 
he was, he's playing in New Zealand now. He's doing incredibly well. Fiji International played in the World Cup. Um, for about 18 months, he was with the Chiefs, for about two seasons. And um, this guy was huge. I mean, it was upwards of 20 stone, five foot six, maybe five foot seven. Uh, sorry, six foot six. Uh, <laughs> little. Um, sorry, so about, about six, five, six, seven. He, he was massive. His arms were the size of my legs. His legs were the size of my waist. This guy was a monster. And, and I went to the gym with him a couple of times, and, and whew, he was strong. He was a strong boy. Um, and one Sunday morning, Aaron's doing an appeal for people to come and be filled with the Holy Spirit. So forward he comes. And I'm looking around at the stewards going, I'm going to have to stand behind him. And so he's got his arms up in the air and he's lost in worship and, and, he, and he's desperate for a touch from God. And, and I'm on the response team and Aaron's standing in front of him, you know, with his hand on his head. And I'm stood behind him and Aaron's praying for more of the Spirit. Fill him, God. Fill him, God. More, more, more. And I'm praying, God, send him forward. Send him forward or I'm going to die. <laughs> the weight, when that hits you, you're going to know about it. But, but to say weight, the problem is, is, is when you talk about weight, it lends itself to this idea of, of something heavy or something that's a, that's a burden or something that, that squashes you. So, so when I look at look this a bit more, I, I came across this. And for me, this is the closest thing I can get to understanding what the glory of God is. And it says this, that it's the weight or the full weight of God's goodness. The full weight of God's goodness. Do you know, that's why we sing glory to the King of Kings. That's why we sing, you are good. That's why we declare that we'll build our lives on him because we're proclaiming the weight of his goodness. We're proclaiming the, the worth of God. Worship is, is worth-ship. God doesn't need it to feed his ego, by the way. But he wants us to understand and, and grasp and declare the weight of his goodness because he's God. Because he's God and he is good and he is glorious and he's, and he's kind and he's merciful and, and he's all-powerful and he's generous and he's loving and he's compassionate and he's kind and he's our healer and he's our provider and he's our strength and he's our guide and he's our hope and he's worthy. Thank you, two people. He's worthy. Exodus 24, Moses He's invited up Mount Sinai by God, and, and, and God gets to the top, and, and God covers the mountain. And, and Moses is then invited further into it. And when you read the text, um, when you read between the lines, it looks like Moses just waits there for six days. Moses literally just waits in the cloud, waits in the presence of God, waiting for God to speak waiting for, to be invited further. And, and I wonder how, how often do we get so close to the glory of God? So close, but we're not prepared to just sit and wait to be invited that little bit further. But we've got other things on. We've got other things to do. You know, we, we, we settle for, for what I call a mountainside experience and we, we never wait to be invited to the top. See, Moses wasn't going anywhere. And I know that because Moses was intentional. It's one of my favorite words in the world. He was staying right where he was. And I know that because he said to Aaron and her, listen, any problems, you deal with it. Because I'm not going anywhere. 
I'm staying here. Tell the people any problems, they can sort it out with you. I'm leaving what's down there, down there. And I'm focusing on what's up there. I'm, I'm, I'm not letting what's going on down here distract me from what's going on up there. Because for as long as God allows me, I'm going to live my life on a level that's above the level that I'm, I can see. So Moses stays. And you notice after the six days, Moses doesn't stay for, for one day. Moses stays for 40. 40 days. And it's in this space that God says to Moses, I want to get closer to you. I want to live with you. I want to come and live among you. I want to, the, the Hebrew is, I want to tabernacle with you. So they set up a tent of meeting. They set it up outside the camp. And, and, and God's presence would, would, would reside in this, in this tent of meeting. And then they built the tabernacle. And God's presence would reside hovering over the tabernacle. And, and we read that when, the, when they finish the tabernacle, God's glory fills it. And Moses can't even go inside. Now, the text is really clear. Moses isn't afraid of God's glory. There's no fear here. Moses physically can't go inside. He actually can't step in there. Can you imagine this room? Where we, where we stand in, in, in Riverview across the corridor and we, we, you know, we have cups of tea and we, we, and we eat bacon rolls. Please, Jesus, bacon rolls. Um, and, we, and we'll eat, you know, we'll, we'll eat something together. We're eating in the presence of God. Because we are gathering in his name. We're eating in the presence of God. But imagine this room being so full of the glory of God, we, we go to come across the hallway and we can't come in. We physically can't set foot because the glory of God has filled this room. Later on, Solomon builds a temple in, in 2 Chronicles 5. We, we read that the, the, the priests, they took the Ark of the Covenant into the Holy of Holies. They, they, they set the, the Ark of the Covenant down and they, and they start walking out. And suddenly the glory of God fills the temple. And what happens is the priests can't do anything. They're just stunted. They can't continue their work. It, it stops them dead in their tracks. And we talk as a, as a worship team. It's one of the principles I've set for our worship team that actually, wouldn't it be great if we had a meeting where we didn't need to play? Because the, the glory of God comes down and it just stops us. And we just bask in the glory. And throughout the Bible, and, and this has been quite whistle-stop, the, the glory was experienced, but it couldn't be seen. You couldn't see God's glory. You could, you could definitely come close, but there was always something separating man from God, whether it was a tent or whether it was a tabernacle or whether it was a curtain. There, there was a, a veil. The glory had to be veiled in some way so that, so that the men wouldn't die when they saw it. See, the fullness of God's glory was, was veiled in the tabernacle. It was veiled by the curtain, the Holy of Holies, and it was veiled in the, the humanity of Jesus. Jesus' earthly body was, was a veil that, that, that hid the inner glory of who he was. There was an indwelling presence. Hebrews 10 says us that the, the, the veil was his flesh. And we, we see in the transfiguration where, where there's a few brief moments Jesus takes his disciples up to a mountain and for a few brief moments his face shines like the sun. Because for a few moments, the veil comes off. And his disciples get a glimpse of the glory. See, God's glory was indwelling in, in the body of Jesus. And it, and it wasn't until Jesus' body was broken. It wasn't until Jesus' blood was spilled that the glory could come out. That when his body was broken and his blood was spilled, he made a way for us to come face to face with God. 
See, the death of Jesus opened up a way into the presence of God. We read every Easter about the, 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 the temple in Jerusalem, what Jesus did by his death. He made the temple obsolete. That whole religious system of sacrifice, you didn't need to do it anymore. When Jesus died, this, this 60 foot, four foot thick curtain tears from top to bottom. It was a curtain that kept you out of the presence of God. But now you can come in. The glory of God's not going to contain itself into something that's man-made. But it's going to be out open to everyone through the death of Jesus. And 2 Corinthians says this. Uh, whenever we turn to face God as Moses did, God removes the veil. And there you are, face to face. We suddenly recognize that God is a living, personal presence, not a piece of chiseled stone. And when God is personally present, a living spirit, that old constricting legislation, legislation is recognized as obsolete. We're free of it. All of it, nothing between us and God, our faces shining with the brightness of his face. When we read back into Exodus, you see Moses, to the people it says that, the, that Moses' face shone after he spoke with God. And, and he had to veil his face. He was reflecting the glory of God. And, and Jesus' face during, during the, the transfiguration, his face shone. He was reflecting the glory of God. The writer in Corinthians, Paul, goes on to say that we are transfigured much like the Messiah, our lives gradually becoming brighter and more beautiful as God enters our lives and we become like him. One translation says we go from glory to glory. From glory to glory, we, we move on, we gradually become more like Jesus. God removes that veil. The NIV says that we have unveiled faces. Another translation says that we've, we've had the veil removed. That barrier between us and God isn't there anymore. And so if, if we reflect God's glory, and if we're being transformed into his image, then, then if God shines, so should we. If God is, is shining and glorious, that's, that's what we should be because we are being changed from glory to glory. And, and I joked about this in the prayer room, but I couldn't get shine Jesus shine out of my head. Genuine, I couldn't get shine Jesus shine out of my head. And I know we kind of laugh about it. And, and it, it reminds a certain generation of open-toed sandals and white socks and, and tambourines and 12-string guitars. And, ugh, but, but I was just, when I just looked at these lyrics, this is what it says. Lord, I come to your awesome presence from the shadows into your radiance by your blood I may enter your brightness. Search me, try me, consume all my darkness. Shine on me. Verse 3 says, As we gaze on your kingly brightness, so our faces display your likeness. Ever changing from glory to glory. Mirrored here, may our lives tell your story. Do you know we're being changed? We are being transformed. We're growing more and more into what God is like. And, it, and it's a process. It, it happens in stages. We, we won't get there in, instantly. Our aim as followers of Jesus is to, is to try and grow into the likeness of God. And, and, and it's great that we, we get to grow. It's so exciting we get to grow that we can say, hey, listen, I'm not where I, I want to be, but I, I'm, I'm so thankful that I'm not where I was. 
I'm not who I want to be, but I'm so thankful I'm not who I was because I'm on a journey. I'm on, I'm on a process. I just spent the last 15, 20 minutes talking to you about how no one has seen the glory. And I'm going to be honest, I lied. Because in Revelation 1 and in, in Revelation 4, John sees it. Or at least an image of it. And, and there's a parallel vision, I don't know if you know this, there's a parallel vision that John has, which is almost identical to a vision that Ezekiel has 400 years earlier. In Ezekiel 1, it, it's almost the, exactly the same thing. And, and we don't have time to look at it now, but you, you can check it out when you get home. But in verse 28, Ezekiel says, This was the appearance of the likeness of the glory of the Lord. There you are. We know what the glory of the Lord looks like. This was the likeness of the glory of the Lord. This looked like the glory of the Lord. And when we read through that text, Revelation 4, we can see there are, there are four faces to God's glory. What these creatures are doing is they are reflecting the glory of God. There are four aspects. And this is important because we can't just do what Jesus did. We can't. We can't just do what Jesus did. It's not enough. If we're being transformed, we have to be more like Jesus. We have to look like Jesus. See, our worship isn't declaring his worship. It's reflecting his glory. And I want to land with this because God isn't interested in what you're doing. He's interested in what you're becoming. Because don't, don't just do what Jesus did. Look like him. The thing Jesus wants us to do the most is look like he does. When, when Jesus says to the disciples who say, listen, we, we went, we performed miracles, we cast out demons. Jesus said, I don't know you. Why? Because you don't look like me. You're not reflecting me. We talk about our vision. We want people to know God. Well, if we want people to know God, we need to show God. If we want people in our communities, in our workplace, in our schools to, to know who God is, we need to show who God is. And, and here we get some great examples of how to do this. You know, the, the, the term for Christians is, is little Christs. That's what the Greek means. We are little Christs. So we're not about copying him, but we're reflecting him. We're reflecting his glory. And when we reflect more of who he is, we'll be more successful when we try to do what he did. You know, our worship is, is when we, we, we sing corporately, what we're doing is we are drawing ourselves to God. Corporate worship is all about declaring who God is and bringing ourselves to God. But when we worship outside this room, when we adopt, when we take part in acts of kindness, when we, we help someone on the street, when we go and just bless someone, we're not drawing ourselves closer to God, we're drawing them closer to God. That's how worship works. And I want to go through these quickly. Because God, I don't want to be two-faced. I want to be four-faced. God, I want the face of an eagle. God, I want the face of a man. God, I want the face of a lion. And it's going to hurt, but give me the face of an ox. Because the ox was a servant. The ox was a serving animal. 
It knew what it was there for. It would be used to serve and it was eventually used as a sacrifice. The ox's purpose was to die. Was to serve and then die as a sacrifice. Jesus didn't come to be, to be served. Jesus came to serve and to give his life as a sacrifice. Mark 10, Jesus said, whoever wants to be great must become a servant. God, would you make me a servant? My, my, my job today is to reflect your glory by being an ox, by being a servant. And then we have the man, and it's the face of relationships. Jesus loved people. He loved people. Most of his time, he was either at a meal or walking to a meal. Jesus wanted people around him and he got criticized for spending time with tax collectors and and sinners because Jesus is a people person. The reason Luke goes back to, to, to Adam in the genealogy of Jesus is because Luke wants a point to make a point to his Greek readers. Listen, Jesus was a man. He was a man. He was fully human. And Luke's gospel is full of parables. The most parables are in Luke's gospel because he wants to show Jesus as a people person who sat around people and told stories. Matthew 5, Jesus' most famous sermon, is all about how to treat people. It's all about how to treat people. Love your enemies. Pray for those who persecute you. Give to the needy. Make things right with people. Be faithful. Be light. Be salt. Don't just love those who love you. God, would you help us to reflect your glory by loving people? And then we have the eagle. And the eagle represents dignity. It it represents honor. It represents respect. It represents beauty. Now, I've never seen an eagle fly. But I'd imagine I'd be lost if I did. That as it it soared above me, I'd just be lost in awe. There'd be be a wow moment as this creature just displays its beauty and its grace and its excellence. The face of an eagle is the face of excellence. Daniel 6 says that, that Daniel distinguished himself amongst the people. That he had exceptional qualities. In one version it says that Daniel had an excellent spirit. Mark 7 says, uh, Mark says that the crowd said about Jesus, hey, he does all things well. God, help me to possess an excellent spirit. God, would you help me to live a life of integrity, a life of, of character, a life of discipline, a life where, where I'm faithful. Let's stand together. And then we have the lion. The lion's the face of power. The lion of Judah. The king. It's a face of power. It's a face of strength. It's a face of bravery. Proverbs 28 says that the righteous are as bold as lions. See, Jesus wasn't just a man or a servant or or a king. He was God. The great I am. John's gospel is is packed with metaphors for the greatness of God, the the power of God. And and for us to accomplish what we're called to do as as a church, to live out what God has called us to do, we need the power of God. So we pray. Those those spiritual gifts, prophecy, miracles, we, we are empowered by an indwelling spirit. 
Ephesians 6.10 says, Be strong in the Lord and in His mighty power. Acts 10 says, Jesus was anointed with the Holy Spirit and power and He went around doing good and healing all who were, the, who were oppressed by the devil for God was with Him. God, I want to walk in your power. God, would you give me the face of a lion? What did Jesus say? We do greater things than he did. We will do greater things than he did. God, would you give me that boldness to walk in your kingship and declare your power over the darkness? That in your name the darkness trembles. If we want people to know God, if we want people to, to know God, we need to show God. We need to reflect his glory. Let's pray. God, I don't want to do what you do. I want to become like you. I don't want to do like you do. I want to be like you. God, would you transform me? God, would you help me to, to look like you even more? God, give me your image. Transform me into your likeness. God, make me a better servant. God, help me to, to reflect your glory by loving people. God, help me to possess an excellent spirit. And God, help me to walk in your power. God, this morning, would you make us more like you? We want to be like you. We want you at the center of our lives. God, show us your glory so we can reflect you out to our world. God, we pray this morning, give us a glimpse of your glory. Come on, church, let's lift our voices, let's lift our hands. Let's, let's, God, would you just show us your glory now that we would reflect you? God, show us your glory. Show us your glory. God, show us your glory, God. More of your glory, Jesus.